so there was this this sense of just just being you know right at home where I was, but where I was was bigger than where I was. I'm Carl McCollman. I am Kevin Johnson. I'm Cassidy Hall. And we are Encountering Silence. So I'm really curious for you guys, um, you know, Carl, I want to start with you. I'm really curious about your first memory of, you know, kind of an encounter with silence. And I would anticipate that coming from your childhood, you know, maybe you didn't have the language for it at the time, but can you think of a time where you first really met silence in a, in a different way? Cassidy, I think that the most vivid, I guess, early memory I have really isn't that early. It goes back to when I was about nine or 10 years old. And, you know, and it's just a moment, just a moment in time. And to set the stage, I grew up in Virginia and my family, we were campers, you know, so we would spend a lot of weekends out in the woods, you know. And this particular weekend, we were at a campground at the, at the Kerr Reservoir, which is in southern Virginia, south central Virginia. It's, it's a beautiful location. So it's a reservoir, uh, you know, a lake that, that, you know, had a dam you know, built, I guess, by the Army Corps of Engineers at some point. And, um, and it was a camping facility and, and fishing and boating and, you know, just a wonderful place, especially for a kid to go and spend time. And what I remember is that it was right after the 4th of July. And so this would have been when I was 9 or 10 years old, somewhere in that area. And I was with my mom and dad and my oldest brother and his wife. He had been married the year before or so. And what I remember is that we were walking on the beach of the lake and there were um, bottle rockets strewn all over the beach because people had been, you know, shooting off fireworks, you know, and this must have been July 5th or July 6th or something. It was right after the 4th. And what I remember is that there just was this kind of opening up of this moment that we were present in the silence of nature. And of course, it wasn't like we were being intentionally silent. We were, you know, we were visiting, we were spending time together, but we were also walking and enjoying being outdoors. So, so our time together was my brother, my sister, and I, we, you know, that was certainly marked by pauses. And what, what I simply remember is I remember just being, feeling incredibly present and feeling kind of a timelessness. So in, in being in this place of silence in the natural world, it's almost as if I was you know, caught up out of myself and my sense of self or my sense of presence was just suddenly a lot bigger. Now, at that time, I couldn't have used those words. Those are words that all, all came you know, later. But that was the experience, certainly as I would articulate it today. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that also your first, you know, experience or encounter was, was this, uh, communal, a communal silence, right? Because yeah. we often like our minds often dart to, well, the first time I experienced silence was certainly most likely alone. Well, that's not necessarily the case. And I love that your story was a communal silence. Yeah. Well, 
I, you know, at least what I remember, you know, that's just this vivid memory of this moment being such a beautiful, you know, and the word transcendent, maybe that's a cliche, but that, you know, I mean, I was present in my body. I was present in nature. I was present on the beach. So there was this, this sense of just, just being, you know, right at home where I was. But where I was was bigger than where I was, if mm. that makes mm. sense. Yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's beautiful. I, I love that phrase. I was right at home, right where I was. Mm. You know, I wish that's, that's a wish I have for, <laughs> for all of us to have more often. Can we all, Amen. Couldn't we feel a little more at home right where I was? Beautiful. You know, and beautiful. And to be perfectly honest, I have certainly had, you know, plenty, plenty I've logged in plenty of hours when I didn't feel at home right where I was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, when where I have felt maybe ill at ease in my body or I've, you know, been anxious or sad or depressed. I you know, that's the human condition. I think we always bounce back and forth between these these graced moments and then also moments of struggle or or you know or conflict even if it's just inner conflict you know one one of the um kind of contemporary contemplatives he passed away about 10 years ago whose work i admire is gerald may who was the author of addiction and grace and and his his book will and spirit in in that book he he uses the, the kind of the classical language of the unitive experience you know that experience of being one with something bigger than ourselves and he suggests that, you know, and he was, a, 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 I think, a neurobiologist, you know, so he, he was a scientist who studied the human brain, but he was also a contemplative. And he suggests that the, the typical person has multiple unitive experiences each and every day. That yes. this is a normal part of the human experience, but that we have become skilled at filtering them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think part of the reason why we're skilled at filtering them out is because they often happen. These unitive moments, these unitive encounters often happen in the context of our own inner silence. Mm-hmm. Even if there's plenty of external noise going on. Right. Somehow we, 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 we manage to get in touch with our, with our interior silence, and that leads us to the threshold of encounter, right. the threshold of mystery. Yeah. But, you know, I, uh, that's, a, that's maybe another conversation for another day is right. how, how do we censor silence, even out right. of our own minds yeah. and hearts. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and so, Kevin, how about for you? What, what would you say is your first um, experience or, or encounter with silence or the first time you felt you recognized it in your life. Yeah. It's, it's so funny. Cause as Carl was talking, I could, it almost, his language was evocative enough that it actually kind of gave me a little bit of a chill. I, I, it reminded me of similar times. I, and, uh, as you first asked the question and, and Carl, before I even started to answer, I was thinking to myself immediately, I have two in my head. Um, but you, um, but one, you were asking what the earliest is. And so one is a really powerful one that we'll probably talk about in another episode. But I think the earliest one is, is something very similar. I don't know how old I was. I must have been. So to set the context for me, um, this, this, uh, this is just happens in my neighborhood. I grew up in uh, Connecticut, and I'm in a sub- small sub- suburban town in Connecticut. Um, and my parents 
lived, uh, you know, purposely chose a place that was kind of, had a, had a backyard, had some space, and, and there was a lot of parks in the area and everything else. And um, I'm old enough to be, uh, to remember a time when kids uh, were kind of uh, feral children, as they say. Uh, my parents would kick us out of the house and say, uh, don't come on back until it's dark. You better go play and have some fun. <laughs> there was no helicopter parenting or any of the kind of things. I mean, I raise my kids and I know where they are at all times. It's just a different world and way we raise our children. Um, but my, my parents were, you know, both were working and busy and they were just like, you know, go out. You, we don't have the time to babysit you. Go, go out. And I would go off. I was a geek. I liked to read and write and I wanted to stay in the house. And my parents were like, unacceptable, go play. Kids do that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so they would send me outside and I'd be so angry because I just wanted to stay in the house and read a good book or something. And I don't remember how old I was. Um, I would say this was probably because I used to go out for long periods of time by myself, very young. I would, I bet you I was probably 10, um, maybe 11. And so I was walking up the street and it, there's a, a grammar school near us. And it was, it was definitely summertime. This, this remember this memory here. And, uh, it was summertime. There was no one around. And for some reason, my friends weren't around that day. Uh, they must've had baseball games or something. And uh, my brothers, I have two younger brothers, and uh, they weren't around. So I was by myself. I kind of rode my bike up to where the school playground was. And it was a wide open space. Uh, you go into the background of the school. There was uh, swing sets and stuff like that. And it was wide open. It was kind of like almost like a park. There were no trees in the area. And it just like opened up off into the distance. And you can see, like looking off in the distance, it was just like uh, nothing was blocking the vision. It was just a wide open sky. And it seemed like you were just looking off into the distance and forever. And yeah. I remember being on the swing set and um, r really going really as high as I could and having that feeling of like if I jumped off the swing set, I'd fly. That it was really this kind of high feeling. And I jumped off the, um, I jumped, I did, I jumped off the swing set. I kind of like let myself fly off and I jumped off and I started walking toward into the, into the, um, toward the kind of the open space and I just had this w moment where all of a sudden um, I don't really recall too much again it's a kind of memory after the fact but in the moment I really probably looked like I wasn't doing anything probably but what I was experiencing or you know and I don't know how what I was encountering what, whatever was happening there whatever word I want to use philosophically I want to drop them all and not worry about it too much but whatever happened there uh I all of a sudden felt extremely safe, uh, completely at home, and there was a sense of I was much bigger than my body, that like somehow yeah. uh, I was more than what I thought I was, and there just, I guess the word is presence, the sense of that I just felt very, that there was something, there was more there than me, that it was just very present. I wouldn't even, I mean, I was raised Catholic, um, you know, and I wouldn't, the, I wouldn't have used the word God there. I wouldn't even have been thinking that way. I just felt like this, what is this? You know, like, what is this? Uh, this profound kind of sense of mystery and, and being bigger than I was. And, and then at the same time, what I remember and what has happened for me often is while it was profoundly peaceful and wonderful, there was also a strong sense of kind of 
not sadness, but a, a poignancy, a, a, like a just a sense of uh, I, I I don't know. I, I the the language I think of later. I, I've read some things where um, some of the great uh, like the desert masters and stuff in Christianity would talk about um, the tears of things that somehow like the presence of being in the flesh somehow had it was tinged with sadness uh, and and yet a joy so it was like a bittersweetness a kind of a beautifulness you know a tension yeah, yeah that tension held really strongly that you kind of felt mm-hmm. like this was felt so beautiful and so wonderful that you could cry but it wasn't crying because you were so sad it was just so beautiful yeah. it was it was it felt sad and happy so intertwined and you I, know I've, I've felt that so many times in you know afterwards for the silence the um the english writer c.s lewis talks about the longing for i know not what yeah mm. and the idea is that the longing is itself the greatest possible fulfillment yeah mm. and even though it is such a piercing longing yes and i think when you speak of the sadness yes you touch on that, that, but that you wouldn't want to give that longing up for anything. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I, I don't even like the word sadness. That's why I'm trying to, because it is, it's the piercing, I like that piercing. That's great. Right. It's, it's piercing. Um, but when I say sadness, it makes it feel like I want to run away from it. And, but no, I wanted to embrace it. I was like, bring more of this, more of this. And yet, like you felt like at the same time, it was so piercing. You're like, I'm not sure I can handle more. And yet, can I have more? You know, it was this. It, so I've had that very, very often. And, and it's funny after the fact, after all the years of academics and all the different stuff it's it's this idea of the early christian masters would talk about salvation they would say i'm not even sure you're saved until i saw the tears running down your face that there is this sense of like opening to that mystery and be and being able to recognize that you're in that presence so Mm, mm. and I, i love the way that you know every every time we talk to each other every time we talk about silence we're going to keep bumping into this lack of language, of course, to describe, you know, or to talk about, to clothe the unclothable metaphor, so to speak. Um, and another thing I love is, you know, when when we're all sharing these stories. Now, um, those of you listening might not realize that we're talking on Skype. So we were actually looking at one another. And it's amazing to see us all nodding our heads at each other as we share our stories. And my actually, my favorite is this cameo, um, Carl's petting his cat. Uh, which is really actually relaxing to watch um, as Carl sits back and pets his cat and nods as we share our stories. It's really, it's really special. Well, every time I see him petting the cat, I keep thinking of Julian of Norwich. And, <laughs> and so, so. And, and Kevin, your story really resonated with me and, and Carl, yours as well. Just, I mean, it's interesting how they all kind of begin in uh nature mine was also a, a nature story oh so yeah um, cassidy what, what was you. yours yeah yeah and and then also you know kevin going back to this this nameless feeling that you kind of just ended with um i want to read something that came up the other day that was really poignant for me and really um expressed uh silence and um this, this space and this feeling in a different way. You know, you were talking about the tension, that tension feeling right. um, of this, you know, elation and sadness. 
but it's not either. Right. But it's both. But it's, you know, um, and there's this um, quote by E.E. Cummings I read the other day um, about being a poet and feeling. A poet is somebody who feels and who expresses his feelings through words. This may sound easy. It isn't. A lot of people think or believe or know they feel, but that's thinking or believing or knowing, not feeling. And poetry is feeling, not knowing or believing or thinking. Almost anybody can learn to believe or to know, but not a single human being can be taught to feel. Why? Because whenever you think or you believe or you know, you're a lot of other people. But the moment you feel, you're nobody but yourself. To be nobody but yourself in a world which is doing its best day and night to make you everybody else means to fight the hardest battle which any human being can fight and never stop fighting. E.E. Wow. E. Cummings. Now that really That's... resonates with me yeah. in, in some of these things that you guys were saying. Oh my God. Like I, I'm a fan of E.E. E. Cummings and I have never heard that quote. What is that from? That is amazing. That's the title. Yeah, so that was from um, E.E. Cummings. Uh, It was posted in a Michigan newspaper, and it was titled A Poet's Advice to Students. So I guess I would go back to this this idea um, that he says, not thinking, you know, not believing, not knowing, but feeling. And so for me, it was a space of feeling and uh, not thinking or believing or knowing is where I first really met silence, I would guess I would say. And, you know, I grew up in central Iowa, so I was in the country and we, you know, were surrounded by soybean fields or cornfields. And there was a prairie behind my house and I was always a deep, deep feeler. And I never quite knew how to navigate feelings and what to do with them Mm. and how to express them best because I cried a lot, you know, and I I was dealing with a lot of feelings. So one thing I would regularly do is I would walk back behind her house. um, So a couple acres back was where the prairie was. And I would go sit somewhere in the prairie and just feel. And I would look look up at the wide open Iowa sky, you know, blue sky and clouds, watch the clouds go by and feel. And, you know, Kevin, it really resonates with me that you talked about this deep sadness, but, you know, also this elation and the confusion, right? And the tension. Um, and I think that for me, you know, as a kid, because I didn't have the language for the elation, it was, it did seem to be a lot more agony, right? Or confusion or sadness. Yeah. Yeah. I would so agree. it was, I'd agree with it that. was, Times like that, um, for me, that I, I really first met silence. Um, mm. and, and, you know, in, in following what E.E. E. Cummings was saying, also began to meet myself, right? Because, um, you know, the moment you begin to feel you are yourself, right? You're not somebody else. Yeah. And you're in your body. Right. Right. And I think, that I, you know, you guys can speak to your experience, but my experience, you know, again, growing up in a television culture and being a young boy who was not particularly uh, athletically inclined, I learned at an early age not to be 
in my body to be, as they say, in my head, you know, or you yep. know, in, in in fantasy or in thoughts or lost in a book or whatever. And and I'm not necessarily trying to be dualistic here and to say that that's that's bad and being in the body is good, but I think that that to be healthy, as much as we want to cultivate, you know, our minds, our our, our ability to think and to reason. We also need to cultivate that language of feeling, that language of presence, that language of embodiment. That uh, again, you, you, it's it's an unteachable lesson. We can't learn it um, f- from a book, you know, or or from a tutorial in class. We learn it by going out and sitting in the cornfield, you know, yeah. or, or walking alongside a lake, or right. or you know, or doing yoga, or running until. We're so exhausted that we fall down and, you know, are spinning around and spinning around and spinning around until the world is spinning and we're dizzy. That's right. That, that, that's how we learn the language of the body. Um, but I think and, silence and, takes us back to that. Right, right. Returns us to what is real is one of the, one of the statements that Helen Lee says in the documentary, you know, In Pursuit of Silence. Um, and I love that, again, you know, despite our ages, we didn't quite have the language for explaining what we experienced or encountered, you know, however we want to word it, in those those moments as we were kids. But at the same time, this reminds me of when we talked last time, we were still able to recognize it, right? you know, whatever it was, and, and be able to look back and still recognize it just as we, you know, recognized um, one another and, and one another as being in touch with, with silence. Right. I, it's funny because I just think, as Carl was saying before, uh, very similar. I mean, I was, I was an okay athlete, you know, generally, but it's funny that you, uh, Carl says, you know, like TV culture and in my head. I mean, it really was around the time where I was getting rewarded for my ability to do well in school, and uh, you know, I had learned pretty quickly that you know, oh, if I read well or if I, um, when they taught us how to write. And I'm starting to write down and they're like, okay, learn your alphabet. And then, and then it got to the place where they're like, why don't you write a story? You know, and then I'd be in my head writing these stories and the teacher, everybody was so thrilled that, you know, Kevin could sit down and write a story. And I Mm. got lost in these worlds, you know, and it's funny that Carl's like, you know, yeah, it's like we got lost. It's like the beginning stages there of creativity, which I think is a beautiful thing. Like Carl, I'm not trying to suggest that the you know the life of the mind or or creativity or or creating fantasy worlds is evil in fact i would argue i'm a a huge fantasy guy myself so i'm i'm a big fan that as tolkien kind of makes the argument that fantasy realms are uh important for us and that that could be a different episode um we can talk about it another time but it's really funny to think back now and to think about that and it's about being in the body like Everybody wants to automatically assume the the mystical experience, and I said the experience word, Carl. Believe it or not, but everybody, everybody, <laughs> we want, all do. Yeah, <laughs> everybody wants to run and say mystical experience, and then there's this assumption that's like you're some weird, I don't know, ecstatic strangeness. And for me, these moments of silence, the, the real returns us to what is real, as Cassidy just said, citing uh, uh, Helen Lee, that it seems to me that it's when I'm profoundly in my body. And it's, it's, it's a very embodied kind of thing. I want to pick up on um, Cassidy's comment about 
the recognition. Because when I listen to both of your stories and also the telling of my own story, you're right. I think all three of us had this moment when we were fairly young and then recognition that probably, in my case, it unfolded over time. Mm. And I think that when I think about my relationship with silence over the, you know, 45, 46 years now, since that day on the shore of Kerr Reservoir, my relationship with silence is still unfolding. It's the, 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 the flower has not fully blossomed. And, um, you know, and I still come to recognize just, you know, random memories in my life. And I'll realize oh, that that was a moment of encounter for me. Yeah, that that was a was a moment of grace. That was a moment when I somehow managed to let go of what um, what Martin Laird calls the cocktail party. Yeah, you know, or, or what the Buddhists call the monkey. You know, that that kind of interior. You know, the Howard Cosell, the interior monologue mm-hmm. that uh, we all learn at a very very early age. I mean, that's kind of you know the the the. The function of the brain is is to generate this kind of cognitive web, right. the cocoon, as the Shambhala Buddhists call it, and um, and yet the beautiful thing about the cocoon is it's not hermetically sealed, is that we are always available, back to Jerry May to fall into that unitive moment, that moment of pure presence, that kind of pops us out of, out of the 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 thought stream, into the silence, um, but I think you know. And, and, you know, it's, it's funny how we, 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 we tease each other over using the experience word because I think we tend, experience tends to be something that's very cognitive. We talk about experience. We write about experience. Right. And, um, and the reality is, is that, that silence, there's a level on which silence is the experienceless experience. It, it, it pops us out of that into this place of pure presence. And so then we're left afterwards trying to make sense of it using a very inadequate tool, i.e. our language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, and, and for me, you know, what, uh, I, as I hear you talk, I, I uh, wholeheartedly agree. Um, what's, what's the thing for me for the experience, why I kind of, you know, I, I shirk it and run away from it and roll my eyes and everything is that for me, it's about who's in charge, really. For me, the experience word is because of the culture and the way we talk about it. Experience really is about me. It's a personal thing. It's like how I interpret. It's about me. So I become the center player. But where in silence, I'm not the center player. It it moves away from me to a we. Even if I'm by myself, there's a we. Uh, there's like a, as I said when I was there, quiet it was like it felt like there was more than just me there. Uh, and and yet I was by myself, and yet it seemed to be much more. There was a we going on. So uh, this sense of experience really focuses on a kind of a localized Kevin, you know, like a invid- And then I real- there's that moment of encounter or engagement or participation where it's not, wow, Kevin's bigger than what he thought Kevin was. You know, like it, the language kind of, it's weird. It's a really weird space. So to mark that, hence when we said in the, pilot episode and everything else is the, the word encounter kind of marks for me the shift that it's not 
it's still experiential. Maybe encounter is a a form like it's a lived, embodied part of life. Um, it's normal. It's not extraordinary necessarily. I'm not talking about a trance. I'm not talking about anything. You know, our descriptions here, I think, make it clear that it could just happen walking on the out in a prairie, you know, somewhere. So it's not that, but I just want that shift where it's not Kevin's experience. It's something, you know, it's the mystery. It's the presence. It's this other thing. So, you know, and I, I don't want us to do this necessarily, but I'm just curious if we had to go back to our stories, right? If we put our minds and our bodies back in our in our stories as we were kids, and if we had to name it, and we had to put language to it, um, even as simple as you know a statement of you know my first meeting with silence was blank. Um, how how would you how would you convey that to someone um, in such a sentence or such a single word? I definitely have an instinctual response to this. You know, I, obviously I was thinking about it a little bit before I asked. Right. Um, in my instinctual response, and maybe I'll think about it and come up with something different, but is just the statement that silence is spacious. Wow. That's good. The word the word I was going to um, kind of settle on, Cassidy, was presence. Mm. And, and I don't, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, at this point in my journey, I, I have a very strong kind of theistic spirituality. But, um, but I think even moving beyond the categories of, you know, God or spirit or any of that kind of stuff, that, um, that the presence just is, is. Yeah. It's not God is present. I mean, you could say that. I don't think it's 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 untrue to say God is present or or spirit is present, you know, or love is present. I think all of that's true, but there's also simply silence is present. Yep. Um, you know, one of my my taglines that I've used on social media is that you know silence is not an absence. Silence is a presence. Right. Mm. And and I think that you know in in my kind of halting, you know clumsy way to try to communicate it here's here's the thought i had and i know you know of the three of us kevin is the only one who currently you know has children at home um but the question of how would we communicate this to a 10 year old in our lives Mm. whether it's our our our, you know our children or a niece or nephew or a friend or whatever and and i asked that question not quite sure how i would answer it but I, I, I would hope that if I were ever walking with a 9 or a 10 or 11-year-old on the beach and I noticed that suddenly they had become very quiet, that A, I would respect that and B, that I would have some way of inviting the child to open that presence up to me. Not in the moment. In the moment, simply be in the silence. But maybe, you know, a little while later, you know, we go and we grab, you know, a bite to eat, a sandwich or something. And then we sit down. And so that was really a beautiful moment there by the beach, wasn't it? And of course, the child probably is not going to be able to put anything into words. Mm -hmm. But maybe for me, yeah, but for me to say, you know, there are some times when when I'm, 
I'm in silence and in a beautiful place like the lakeside. And, and I realize that there's more to life than my little brain can put into words. I mean, even being able to say that right. probably could be a gift. Right. And, and how often those, you know, simplified but potent words are really what we, the adult, needs to see, to be present to and to feel and to yield to, as opposed to this over-describing, over-thinking, over-explaining uh, what, what it is, so to speak. So, Kevin, what, how would you describe in a, you know, a sentence or a word your meeting? Well, since you t- both took all the great answers, I have to think. <laughs> But, no, because it's funny, you know, like, I, I think there would be, of course, just hearing you guys, um, it, it does, spaciousness it has a really strong sense for me, uh, for, too. Yeah. Uh, when you say that, that, that just resonates so strongly. And then the idea of presence, because as I've already mentioned, it feels like there's more than just me there. So it's, it's like, it's not just me, it's a, a we and who's there? I, I think it's just everybody and everything is there. Like, it's just, we are all here together. Here we are. Um, you know, whereas I guess if I was going to try to say in a word, maybe I would say in the spirit of the way, if I had to say it to somebody, you know, somebody younger than me, and if I was trying to tell my kids about this, I guess what I would say to them is uh, that space or this space right now, if the kid was with me and we talked about it afterwards, I would be like, this, that, that, that ultimately that this is real, you know? Beautiful. So, okay, spaciousness, presence, and real. I mean, those are pretty potent words. And to think that, you know, obviously we know we can't, condense or we can't contain what silence is or what it was in those moments. Um, but those are some really nice words to hold on to. And, you know, for anybody listening, we would love to hear your, your first meetings with silence. If you want to reach out to us at EncounteringSilence.com or go to our Facebook and message us, um, you know, it's important to explore these stories as we kind of find that meeting place where we first come to know something so um, important and special and something that points us to who we are also. So thanks so much for listening and we look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Encountering Silence podcast. If you enjoy our ongoing conversation about the beauty of silence and its meaning in our lives, please subscribe and review our podcast on iTunes or through your Android device. And please visit patreon.com slash encountering silence to partner with us. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash encountering silence. Your financial support will allow us to continue creating new episodes and spreading the message of how vital silence is to our social, spiritual, and physical well-being. You can subscribe to our email list by visiting 
EncounteringSilence.com. Be sure to connect with us on Twitter at Silence Podcast and our Facebook page at Encountering Silence. Finally, you can find out more about each of us on our personal websites, CassidyHall.com, KevinMichaelJohnson.com, and CarlMcColeman.com.